Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that looking back make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast, Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring a song, while the other host has no idea what song's the focus until we hit play. We're here for episode five of You Wanted a Hit. And Damn right we are. You know what, Mike? I'm going to interrupt you. because You know what we don't do enough? We don't fucking celebrate our, our lovely beer sponsor uh, early on in episodes often, and I've been looking at this this canned snack over here that is sweating because it's not opened yet, because I love just doing this sound every time. Ah, or Mike. It so. sounds nice it when I edit the podcast to have it, that sound in there. It's it really very does. lovely. So there you go. Uh, Put a little reverb on it. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sierra Nevada, once again. I'm pretty hooked on the big hazy for these episodes because I usually start with that beer and it gives me a little kick at the beginning. It's nice. Um, and again, it's a, it's, it's pretty pleasant for such a full body beer. Like that. So thanks, Sierra Nevada. So we thought that we would commemorate our fifth episode with our first guest. We have had this plan to have friends on the show, people we admire, people whose opinions we respect. Uh, we have our first guest. She's right here with us. I'd like to formally welcome Amy right now or Jacobs to You Wanted a Hit. She's going to discuss the song with us just like Theo. She does not know what song is coming up. I'm the only one that does. Uh, so she will be helping out with the color commentary. I have no idea. And I'm so excited. I've been thinking about this a lot. <laughs> I would like to just say one thing. Thank you for having me on your show because I am a massive fan and I'm legit. Like I was walking through my neighborhood listening to the Enigma episode and I was talking to myself like a crazy person because I had so much to say about the Enigma episode. Really really love that song and i really love man of the house and if you need somebody to finally do the pure moods <laughs> podcast with you i'm your girl so that's all i wanted to start things off with i'm excited to discuss this song and discuss music with amy because that's what we do mm-hmm. is we discuss music we've been friends for years amy runs the website the bluegrass situation which is a hub for all roots music so all of you bluegrass country folk all all fans of that music you should check it out they also put on wonderful events whenever they are able to have events yeah we'll be back in 22 with events we're gonna take this year off chill focus on providing great content excited to be here honored i think you'll be even more excited when you hear this song so ready actually i think both of you are gonna be psyched so without further ado Here's the song that we will be discussing on this episode. Let's go. I'm excited. Yes. Oh. Oh. What a dream. You both knew this song very quickly. You know, it's funny. Today, I was reading an article and I went down an Instagram rabbit hole. Miley Cyrus's mom is a interior designer, I guess. 
MG interior design Miley's house. And there's a picture of them. They look like sisters. But literally mere hours ago, I was in a in a, in a Tish. Cyrus universe. Tish Cyrus. I, too, was reading this article, Ted. Look at that. Uh, I had questions about the design. But, you know, it was setting us up for, for this moment. Also, for everyone listening, I immediately went into the line dance. Like, immediately. It was, like, subconscious. <laughs> poured through me from the fourth grade gym show it was just there still i remember being in second or third grade and we did this like i don't know like a mayfair or whatever and every grade would put on a dance and one year we did achy breaky heart i had pictures of me in like you know you know jorts and a white t-shirt probably a little handkerchief uh really really did up the cowboy thing um and we, and we did the line dance to this song I'm sure a lot of schools did. I think it was just required by the state of Pennsylvania in the <laughs> mid to late 90s. Maybe it was a Pennsylvania thing. I knew this song really well because my mom had the cassette and I saw the music video all the time. <laughs> and I was in New Mexico at the time and there were a lot of honky tonks, a lot of line dancing. It's a big thing. I have mixed feelings about this song, as uh, as you'll probably learn, as did lots of people and they still do. Still oh. do. It brings up a lot of things it really it's, does and it came out yeah. of no mixed feelings over here i'm all all for it <laughs> good to know it came at a very interesting time in country music it was written in 1990 by songwriter don van tress nickname don juan von tress as you can imagine he's a white guy <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> this is probably controversial <laughs> so. he'd been plugging away as a songwriter in Nashville for years. And uh, he did an interview in the Tennessean a few years ago where he described how he came up with the song. He came up with just the melody and the two chords on guitar, and he ended up playing it for Harold Shedd, who was a Nashville producer best known for his role producing the country group Alabama. And then later, Reba McIntyre, Shania Twain, Toby Keith, mm-hmm. he also produced a bunch of country legends like Mel Tillis. Mr. Shedd told Don Juan that he just had to finish the song, that it was a winner. He also warned him, do not get a co-writer so that you can keep all the publishing and the royalties when it becomes a hit. Smart man. Wow. Mr. Shedd was pretty sure. That sounds so anti-Nashville. Right? But cool. Cool on Shedd. Right? So Don Juan Mm -hmm. finished the song, which he titled, Don't Tell My Heart. Mm. Mm. It was not titled... Achy Breaky Heart. Was it subtitled Achy Breaky Heart? I don't believe so. Um, Not at this time. So he started demoing the song around town, and it took some time, as you know, because there's a few more songwriters in Nashville competing to have their songs recorded. But this is Achy Breaky Heart, motherfuckers. Didn't take long. So he persevered. Didn't take long. (laughs) Match hit in the waiting. They had some interest in the song from a longtime big name in Nashville. Country music. Hall of Famers, the Oak Ridge Boys. <gasps> wow. And I feel like I need to fully disclose that I work directly with the Oak Ridge Boys. They've got a new album coming out in June, Front Porch Singing. Check it out. They just released a cool cover of a Kebmo song last week. Oh, the free advertising that your employer is getting wow. right now. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, so the, the wow. Oak Ridge Boys, these country legends, were considering the song. And the group actually decided against recording it because their lead singer, Dwayne Allen, whose birthday is today. Happy birthday, Dwayne. Happy birthday, Dwayne. He said that he did not like the words achy or breaky and refused to sing them. Well, 
that is a key part of the song. So, uh, I mean, it's no Elvira, but okay. <laughs> Can I tell you a quick story about the Oak Ridge Boys? Of course. I love stories about the Oak Ridge Boys. So my dad's parents were the Right Nowers. They were big fans of, of the Oak Ridge Boys and the Statler Brothers. Mm. And they used to have... Doesn't one of the Oak Ridge Boys have like a very long beard? Oh, yeah. They had a stack of vinyl in my grandfather's office and for some reason when i was a small child the image of the oakridge boys specifically the man with the beard scared the bejesus out of me <laughs> like i was terrified of the oakridge boys i wouldn't even go into that room alone because i did not want to look or feel like i was being watched by the man with the beard he does have like a gandalf thing going on here i don't think i've ever actually seen yeah. pictures of him now the beard's cool. Now I think it's awesome. I saw that uh, Brendan Kelly from the Lawrence Arms, who is also behind the Nihilist Arby's Twitter account, he <laughs> he tweeted last week just a picture of the Oak Ridge Boys, and it just said, yo, this Oak Ridge Boys guy is straight up a wizard. Since, like, been around them in, you know, backstage at places, and there's this subconscious thing in the back of my brain that's like, mm-mm, don't trust that man. No. <laughs> But I'm uh, sure he's really lovely and wonderful. I'm really sorry. They're all lovely. Well, they turned down Achy Breaky Heart. I could see them doing it, but I don't know that it would have been as much of a hit. Right? Not as sexy. I'll tell you that. Definitely. Oh, I beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> They've had a couple crossover pop hits, but that was in the 70s and 80s. It probably would have been difficult to cross over for a group that's like that steeped in country history. It maybe needed a fresh face. In 1991, the song was finally recorded by a trio of brothers from California. The Marcy Brothers were a country band who charted six singles on the Billboard country charts in the late 80s and early 90s. I've never heard of these people. I'm not sure what they're up to now, except one of them is an auxiliary <laughs> player in Brad Paisley's touring band. Oh, yeah. Which I learned are called mm. the Drama Marcy Kings. Brothers. Oh, my goodness. Didn't realize that. Why? First thing that comes up, Marcy Brothers, Achy Breaky yep. Heart. Wow. This is a whole other rabbit hole I'm about to go down after our recording. This is great. So the Marcy Brothers in 1991 recorded Don't Tell My Heart. They were the lucky winners to record Don Juan's wonderful song. But they made a little change. I want to play you their version so that you can tell me what the change was. You both look perplexed. Achy Breakin'? Yes. The Marcy Brothers, who recorded this song in 1991, changed the words to Aiken Breakin' Heart. What did everybody have against achy and breaky? I don't think they're offensive. Uh, is it offensive or it sounds dumb? Like <laughs> On its face, like nobody would walk around being like, oh, my achy, breaky heart. Sounds like a hit is what it sounds like. Breaky's not a word, but there are so many country songs before this that have made up words or slang or plays on words. Needless to say, um, it didn't catch on. But I'm curious if the Oak Ridge Boys had asked to change the words, because clearly 
eventually the words were changed and they had to get Don Juan's permission to change them. I feel like they just, they trusted the song enough and they just went with Aiken and Breakin. <laughs> the Oak Ridge boys were just like, get out, get out of here. As you can hear, it's fine. It's, it's inoffensive. It's not anything to write home about. It's not a smash hit. It didn't catch on. I think, I think Don Juan was getting a little desperate. <laughs> not a smash hit. As Don Juan tells it, he just didn't give up on the song. So a couple of his and Harold Shedd's producer buddies said they'd help find someone to record it. So they started a search and they said if they find a singer to record it, they will produce the record. After a little bit of searching, they get led to a little town in northeast Kentucky called Flatwood, which I also discovered was previously called Cheap Kentucky, C-H-E-A-P. <laughs> Kentucky. I like that. Uh, it was a mining town. It was in this place in Flatwoods, Kentucky, that they introduced the song to a singer who picked up some recent regional success. And this singer was Mr. Billy Ray Cyrus. Ooh, here we go. Here we go. So I've read several accounts of how this song resonated with Billy Ray. All of these accounts contain the same first line that Billy Ray supposedly said when he heard. Don't tell my heart. He said, that's me. I mean, it was it was a connection. I mean, it is. But when I first read that, Not I was wrong. like, oh, he's just like inflating the story. And then I was reading back. Everybody says that in the room, he said, that's me. <laughs> Billy Ray had actually moved to Los Angeles trying to find success as a singer after he uh, dropped out of college where he was on a baseball scholarship. Yeah. But he had fallen on hard times in L.A. and he was living in his car. And in fact, there's a Rolling Stone article written by a pal of mine, Joe Hudak, that says, prior to cutting the record that would change his life, debuting at number one on the country albums chart and spending 17 weeks atop the Billboard 200, Cyrus was living out of his own Chevy, a stuffed-to-the-rear window Beretta. Well, thank God it was an American car. Otherwise, the story would have just gone south real quick. <laughs> For some of our like much younger listeners, I really hope someone listening to this episode, when you mentioned Billy Ray Cyrus, I really hope someone was like, whoa, the dad from Hannah Montana? I really hope that happened. Right? Yes. It would make sense. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is you can call Billy Ray a one-hit wonder, but is he? Is he these days? We'll get into that. Yes. Uh, so Cyrus actually said in this Rolling Stone article, I was pretty comfortable in there, but my car had shit all over it. Well, not shit. <laughs> Though there was probably some of that, too. There were cassette tapes and tapes and tapes, and guitars and microphones rolling around the floor. If I needed anything, all my shit was in that car. That was my office. <laughs> Tish should have come, come in and designed it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, she and Exhibit could have pimped that ride. So I've read a few different <laughs> accounts of this, and it's hard to tell if the song took Billy Ray from Kentucky to Nashville, because he moved back to Kentucky after living in his car in LA. But I don't know if if he was already going to Nashville or was like going there frequently because it wasn't that far from Kentucky. I'm not exactly sure. Don Juan tells the story that the producers went to Kentucky to meet Billy Ray. But I also found it kind of funny that he was talking about all these tapes that were in his car because supposedly those were all demo tapes, like demos that he had cut, tons of them. As we have discovered on this podcast, we're in the early 90s here. This was a time where one tape could just like rocket you into stardom. So I kind of get while he was why he was driving around this car full of demo tapes. <laughs> you never know who you're going to meet. Never you just know. don't know. 
that I have driven through Flatwoods, Kentucky, going between festivals. Formerly known as cheap. Does it does it give off like a cheap vibe? <laughs> it's very, very cheap vibe. <laughs> what does Flatwoods mean? Or they you said it was a mining town. They also have like one some... word. One word. Flatwoods. But the thing that really blows my mind is that Flatwoods is on the edge of Ashland, Kentucky. And when you drive into Ashland, Kentucky, there's a sign that denotes that Billy Ray Cyrus, the Judds, and Keith Whitley are all from the same town. Think about that. What is in the water? Wow. That's wild. Yeah. So technically, I guess he's not because he's from Flatwoods, but it's basically they're like, right next to each other. They're well, you know. Yeah, so he got he got included on the sign. Those small towns, if you move, you suddenly live in the next town when you move like five blocks away. Yeah. Yep. That's kind of how that goes. That's that's cheap Kentucky. Billy Ray had already been working on his debut album. Some gave all. That's the title. He of did it. give all. He gave all. <laughs> he had written several of the songs on the album, and "Achy Breaky Heart" was so him. Again, that's me. That he axed one of his own songs from the album so that he could record Achy Breaky Heart and put it on as the last track on the album. Wow. Oh, interesting. Rarely do you find the hit at the end there, especially in the 90s. Don Juan went on to say, It was a gift from the ether. I saw kids dancing in my mind. And I remember telling my wife, and she thought I was a little screwy. (laughs) Has Don Juan have any other hits? At this time? No, this is his first hit. I mean, he'd been just like tinkering around Nashville. And then when he when he played those two chords for some folks, they were like, this is going to be a big hit. I'm ignoring a lot of other things about the song. <laughs> it was released on March 23rd, 1992. And I will tell you in researching this, I read the phrase instant stardom countless times. Like that is the story of this is this song came out and he was a star. It was like next day. Uh, what label is he on? Is he on a label? So he's on Mercury. So the the record came out on Mercury Records because Mr. Shedd was working at Mercury Records and he had already been helping Don Juan find someone to sing the song. So the agreement was that he would put it out on Mercury Records and the two producers that helped them find Billy Ray produced the song. Really? It, all, like it, it all came together. Now, it's a little earlier in the episode than normal. I feel like we need to watch the music video because yeah, I'm here for it. the instant stardom had a lot to do with this music video. This was when people saw Billy Ray for the first time, and they also saw the dance, the achy breaky. You can't unsee it. Wait, did the video open with him being all famous and, and, and David Hasselhoff-esque? I mean, already, this is insane. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the hair. Now we're talking. Oh my god! The mullet ponytail is really is a choice. So god, look at that hair. It's like a raccoon. It does. It, he looks like Davy Crockett, but it's his hair. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he does look like Davy Crockett. Sexy Davy Crockett. But he's like dressed kind of grunge, which is funny. Yeah, yeah. It's actually a very stylish outfit for uh, for that time period. Not as stylish as the one girl they keep showing in the rhinestone cut-off jacket. <laughs> there she is. I love country singers that look like they have a big old live of tobacco in while they're singing. Mm-hmm. 
everyone's doing the dance. He was like, he's like the loose rock and roller of the time, though, because you have to think Garth is like tucked in, put together, Clint Black, Mark Chestnut. They're all like George Strait, George (sighs) George Strait. Oh, my God. Yeah. Love George Strait. Love Uh, George Strait. No, this is this is Garth. Garth is at the top of the world in 92. Yeah. He's playing arenas. This feels very Garth-esque. But he's like, he's he's like this wild side of Garth where he's like no hat shirt untucked <laughs> ripped open mullet out like he is he is he was, he was chris gaines before <laughs> chris gaines is even a, a thought and garth said oh my god is chris gaines based off of billy ray cyrus definitely uh, explain a lot i think garth brooks walked into the movie studio and said hey i got an idea for a movie and it's emo billy ray cyrus <laughs> can i make uh, it hold up is he wearing like a like a necklace like a tribal necklace it, He's wearing several necklaces. Oh, it's almost like a. Oh, he is wearing several. You're right. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the necklace That's is. A look. Actually, I guess I should fully disclose. Halloween 2019. I dressed like Billy Ray Cyrus from this <laughs> era. How many tribal necklaces did you wear? Uh, I had a few necklaces on. Um, I'm not sure if any of them were tribal because I was kind of scrounging for things just a couple days before Halloween. I would like to give credit to his keyboard player wearing the very classy black turtleneck. And thick mustache of the 90s. Ooh. It's kind of awesome. Little known fact, his keyboardist was Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> you had me for about four seconds there. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's got dance moves here at the end. He's doing like a little... Dance moves. <gasps> he's got like a Marky Mark thing happening here at the end. I like this look. I would totally rock this outfit right now. I mean, Those this outfit kind of looks like a lot of the... Young people I see walking around in, like, Logan Square now. Bring it back. Bring it back. That comment makes you sound so old. It looks like a lot of the young people I see walking around (laughs) Logan Square over here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, people that are, like, 21. (laughs) God damn, that was great. I really enjoyed that video. That was really great. I had some trouble trying to figure out where the dance came from and, like, who decided. That hasn't really been disclosed online, from what I can tell. Like who choreographed the dance or how the song ended up with a dance because we weren't quite at the time where every big country hit had a dance. Is this a unique dance to this song or is this a line dance? It is the achy breaky, the the moves. So it's line dancing, but there are certain moves that are the achy breaky. Okay. I'm sure that I learned when I was in second or third grade doing this dance. Uh, I'm just, I'm just forgetting it. This is pretty Uh shortly after. Brooks and Dunn's version of Boot Scoot and Boogie oh, yes. was out. Yes, 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 yes. And that's kind of credited as the song that really exploded country line dancing. Boot Scoot and Boogie. Thank you. Right, which was originally recorded by Sleep at the Wheel. What? Mm-hmm. There's a Ray Benson version of that song. There are so many tangents I want to go down on this conversation. It's, it's great. Let's talk about line dancing just for a minute. Um... As we know, it's choreographed dancing in a line. It's been around in social circles for a really long time, and there are debated roots, of course. It has roots in Native American culture. It has roots in African American culture. It has roots in European culture. It really just seems like a lot of people like to dance the same dance together in a line, and that's been happening for like hundreds of years. But it really didn't come into like mainstream American pop culture until the 70s, where it happened nearly simultaneously 
in disco and in country. Hmm. And then Urban Cowboy blended them both together. Whoa. And then people started doing these dances in the country honky tonks. So Boots Good and Boogie came out, which had a line dance. And that was like the biggest one ever. And that was in 1989, I think. But Achy Breaky Heart is what a lot of people say was the explosion. Like that was when you would go into honky tonks and like you can't go out on the floor and go two step. You got to be line dancing. Like it was really a big shift in the country club culture. Country club, not to be confused. Country club. With yeah all the uh the starched pastel polos and plaid pants they were all doing the achy breaking i'm sure they were let's be honest it was a shift everywhere i read an article from around that time and the cbc from canada that was talking about this particular dance being very popular in newfoundland the headline is achy breaky dance fever is sweeping north america And it was written by Deborah Collins, and she actually went to a studio in Newfoundland where they were teaching the dance. And it turns out the dance teacher traveled to the United States to learn the achy breaky and other line dances so that she could go back to Newfoundland, Canada and teach them to Canadians. I love and it. And she said, even children are coming to class. Everyone wants to know how to do the achy breaky. That is pre-internet entrepreneurship right there. It really is. I mean, the achy breaky was like, the Macarena of its time. Like, it was like... It was the Macarena of country. It was, but it's like everybody knew it and everyone got into it. Like, I think it really got people into country. It probably did. Um, because this, I mean, this was obviously a huge crossover hit. I'm making assumptions. I was five, six, whatever, but like... It by far, it would have been the only country song yeah. that I listened to at the time. Like, I mean, as a young... Seven-year-old or whatever. I mean, I remember it. I remember seeing it on, like, Entertainment Tonight or something like, everyone's doing the achy, breaky heart. you're like, John Tesh? John Tesh! John Tesh! Guys, when's the John Tesh episode (laughs) happening? It came up last week. It needs to come up this week. I feel like it needs to be be, He's going to be intertwined throughout. He's in every episode. We have a contractual agreement with Sierra Nevada that we have to mention John Tesh in every episode. (laughs) It's our Easter egg. Uh, mm -hmm. In 2010, 18 years after the release of Billy Ray's version of the song, there was a viral video of a first grade class line dancing to the song, and it is adorable. This class is like the most diverse kindergarten class or first grade class I've ever seen. It's beautiful. It's like kids of all backgrounds doing the achy breaky, <laughs> and it really warmed my heart. It was amazing. <laughs> but it has tons of views. It's, it's, I guess it was huge in 2010. But as you can imagine, not everyone in the country music establishment was a fan of Billy Ray and of Achy Breaky Heart. And I'm going to take a sip of beer before we get into this, because this gets heated. <laughs> the song was quite polarizing in Nashville. Oh, Many folks in Nashville were worried about the direction that country music was going in already. Garth is playing <laughs> stadiums with these like huge anthems with big-time rock instruments. It was a changing tide in country music. And it was also at a time where, uh, shortly before that, country music was really focusing only on the legends. Traditionalism was really all that they were doing. So then when pop came into the fold, I feel like people were really kind of freaking out because they didn't know what to do. So Travis Tritt was a country megastar at the time. I mean, he'd racked up platinum albums. He was winning Grammy Awards. Uh, His highest charting album had come out in 1991. So this is 1992. He's at the top of his game. 
And he kind of fell somewhere between the country traditionalist and the new school pop rock country, kind of right in the middle. I feel like he was kind of the bridge between like Marty Stewart and Dwight Yoakam territory and then like Garth Brooks and Reba territory. He was like right in the middle. And then he had the kind of Southern rock Hank Jr. thing going on. Just to give everybody context, because there's probably some listeners who aren't super familiar with Mr. Tritt. That was a very good country music Venn diagram. That was, that was nice. That was excellent. Well, thank you. Marty Stewart will come up again. Famously, Travis Tritt hated this song, and he was not shy about it. He said this song was, and I quote, a wrong direction for country music. Achy Breaky Heart does not make a statement. Which, honestly, yeah, it's a dumb song. Yeah, this is country music we're talking about here. But I'm sure we can find some songs in Travis Tritt's seven albums that have come out at this point that are like, that's kind of dumb. If you look up the cover to 1992, the same year, 1992's A Travis Tritt Christmas, there's a cartoon yeah. dog on the front. Oh, looking at him. <laughs> He's the king of the mullet at this point. Travis Tritt owns the mullet. I feel like there's some jealousy going well, on. Well, maybe that's what was up, is that he's like, this guy's mullet's bigger, and he is being played on MTV when I'm only on CMT. Fuck this guy. Yeah, way better, too. Like, Cyrus's mullet is outperforms two to one. I don't know. Travis Tritt's got some good fashion, though. Things really he came to a head at the 1993 American Music Awards. Let me paint this picture of the early 90s for you. Bobby Brown introduced Motley Crue to give the award for best country song to Billy Ray Cyrus. Wow. wow. Put that in a time capsule and let folks know what the 90s were really all about. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very special 90s moment. That's, that's cool, actually. I couldn't tell if it was like a weird joke to have Bobby Brown pass it on to Motley Crue, to pass it on to Billy Ray Cyrus, because they're all like kind of giggling a little bit, but also Motley Crue and Bobby Brown are probably on tons of cocaine. Well, are we saying Billy Ray doesn't, um, uh, well, doesn't hit uh, the snow? <laughs> He's not a skier? Yeah, don't rule him out there. What's really interesting about this video, and I didn't know going into it, is that while Motley Crue is introducing the award for best country song, they decide to introduce their new lead singer because Vince Neil had just left the band. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember his name, but there is all this drama about Vince Neil, and then they got a new singer, and it was this whole thing. And they introduced him, and then he introduced the country nominees. Tommy oh, Lee is like, let's God. introduce you to our new lead singer. All right, best country song. Good luck, buddy. <laughs> Uh, do we know what other songs were, were nominated? And please tell me a Travis Tritt song was up there. Uh, it was, uh, there is a Garth Brooks song and there is a Vince Gill song. And that was it. There are only three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it was the, it was the built. It was the built awards in 92. Like they didn't give a shit yeah, about right. country. Like uh, this, this country pop crossover right. was like pretty new. Unless we're talking about Oak Ridge Boys, Elvira. <laughs> to yeah. further seal the nineties time capsule on this entire thing on the billboard awards. In 1993, when Billy Ray gets the award and he's like celebratory, he gets in the aisle to walk up to the stage and Alvin from Alvin and the Chipmunks gets up in a cowboy hat and he's following him up there. What? Wait, like a dude in <laughs> like, an Alvin like costume? Like a mascot. Yeah, like a like an Alvin costume. <laughs> <laughs> Follows him up to the stage in a red cowboy hat. It is mind-blowing. I... I'm just going to tell you, I really cannot I mean, wait I to watch this clip. 
really excited. Uh, I believe 1992 is also the year that uh, I made my mom take me to Target so I could get a photo with all the album and the chipmunks. We She took the pictures and then got them developed while we were at Target. <laughs> Motley Crue awards Billy Ray the award. <laughs> and he thusly goes on a rant against Mr. Travis Tritt. Ooh. He says, there have been those people, perhaps due to paranoia or insecurity, or perhaps they consider their self, self-proclaimed critic. To those people who don't like Achy Breaky Heart, here's a quarter. Call someone who cares. Oh my god! Of course, alluding to Travis Tritt's 1991 hit, here's a quarter. Call someone who cares. <gasps> Them's fighting words. That's uh, yes. incredible. I- I've gained actually. so much respect for Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah, same. I was just, just going to say, actually, like, I kind of love Billy Ray all the more for that. That's clever. Trent later publicly apologized to Cyrus and said he did not change his feelings about the song, but he was sorry to Billy wow. Ray. Wow. So clearly, country's going through quite the crisis here. Uh, Waylon Jennings said about Billy Ray, I think the boys' tennis shoes may be tied a little too tight. <laughs> <laughs> what does that even mean? Which is, I feel like it's kind of two digs in one, where it's one, he's like, he's not country. He's wearing, he's tennis, wearing shoes. tennis shoes. Yeah. And also, he isn't cool, basically, which, like, I don't know. Waylon Jennings says you're not cool. You're not cool, to be quite honest. Like, that's fair, but, but I actually agree with Waylon in this context. However, in the Billy Ray Travis fight, I mean, who still has a career? Who just had a number one massively? Many other people in Nashville criticized the song because it was only two chords, which was kind of a no-no in country music for a long time. Good point. Country, you got to have at least three. Woo. God forbid. Two chords in the lies or three chords in the truth. Or your Green Day with pedal steel. <laughs> uh, it also employed a litany of country music cliches, both lyrically and musically. And, and no mandolin. No fit. <laughs> they didn't hire Marty Stewart for this one. But Billy Ray said that this song served a higher purpose at the time. He said, when the song was released in the spring of 92, the world, believe it or not, felt much like it does right now. This is a recent interview. There were wars and rumors of wars. Famine and darkness was revealing itself much around the globe. People were divided. And politically, it felt as crazy across America as it does right now. Basically, it felt like a good time for a happy song. Something simple that everyone could sing, and yes, even dance to. Take your mind off all the heavy stuff for 3 minutes and 27 seconds. So Aki Breaky Heart in 92 was like WAP in 2020. With almost as effective a music video. Did you guys just see that video? It's pretty much the same video. Yeah. Basically the Just same as much thing. sex. Yeah. Billy Ray Cyrus was a heartthrob at the time. Like, we need to talk about this, and I think that had a lot to do with it. Well, that's clear. Especially because Aggie Breaky Heart was being played on MTV when, like, no country videos were being played on MTV. I mean, he had the tight jeans that he clearly borrowed from Dwight Yoakam. He had the the cloth. And I kind of feel like in 92, a mullet that long was, like, kind of a badass move. Kind of. Yeah, that is. It's a statement. It's a gorgeous mullet. It's quite a mullet. Like at the time, mullets were very styled, like very hairsprayed, new wave kind of thing. And he just comes in, crew cut, hair down to my ass. That's it. That's the mullet. And I feel like that probably spoke to a lot of people. 
it's still speaking to people. Yeah. It's still speaking to you. I've just, I traveled a lot for work and I'm just saying it still speaks to people. <laughs> he brought this size of mullet into the mainstream. It's, it looks really nice though. Cause there's a very intentional shot at the beginning of the music video and they, they get the back of the mullet and it's, it's really well quaffed, but it's not overdone. It's not flock of seagulls mullet. It's like, I, yeah, I could have an entire podcast episode just talking about his mullet, I guess, but here we are. Let's go back to the music. The music reached number one on the hot country songs chart where it stayed for five weeks, but it was also number four on the billboard hot 100. Wow. Like the pop chart, but number that's four. Like, how often has that happened with a country song to reach number four on the Hot 100? That's incredible, actually. I've been thinking about that, and I kind of feel like usually it's country songs that are like a little more cerebral to say, like like that sure. um, now known as Lady A song, "Need You Now." Like that that song is like. Mm. That's a song, a song people can really like sink their teeth into. And it's about a really specific feeling. And like, I get why that song was a hit. Yeah. Or like a live like yeah. you're dying, like a something that has like a much greater message. I feel like Shania Twain songs were like purposefully pop music. Mm -hmm. This song is not really purposefully pop music. It's a country song. Yeah. Through and through. Through and through. Yeah, absolutely. If you're thinking about country songs that have hit the the hot 100 it's like what do you hear in a coles <laughs> <laughs> in a like, coles department store that's you're walking through coles with your mom it's the holidays but they're not playing holiday music they're playing like flannels are on sale yes flannels are on sale you're gonna get a tie for your dad again and they're playing hot 100 and like what country songs are in that mix it's like Picture by Kid Rock and Sheryl Crow, which apparently peaked at number four on the Hot 100 in 2003. <laughs> or like, I don't know, I, you know. Same spot. What hurts the most? Rascal Flats. I have for sure heard that in a cold song. Like, That's definitely a cold song. Definitely heard it in a cold <laughs> This Kiss by Faith Hill. It's basically oh, the bad. theme song of Coles. Like, oh my God. That, I feel like I. I feel like I've heard that in Coles. I've heard that in Dillard's. I've heard that in Lord and Taylor. Like that song has made the department store world tour. I'm actually floored by how many Faith Hill songs peaked on the Hot 100. I have the utmost respect for her, but also I'm just like, oh yeah, all of these are in a Coles. All of them. Yeah. The number one song, by the way, in country music that's been on the Billboard Top One or Hot 100 is "How Do I Live." By Leanne Rhymes. Oh, of yeah. course. Not the Con Air version. Just to be clear, because that's Trisha Yearwood. I just watched Con Air recently, and I gotta say, I shazammed it, because it didn't oh. sound like Leanne Rhymes, and I realized it was Trisha Yearwood. I don't know that I would've known that. That's the one that won the Grammy. Really? It's a whole episode in and of itself. Yeah, but we, we yeah. only talk about dumb songs, and, and that's, <laughs> that's not a dumb song. Aki Breaky Heart reached number one in Australia. And number three on the UK singles chart. In fact, Billy Ray Cyrus performed on Top of the Pops in the UK and sang this song. What? That might be my favorite fact I learned today. That's incredible. 
Can you imagine being in England and turning on top of the pops and seeing Billy Ray Cyrus with his fucking mullet singing this song about achy breaky heart? Like what? Oh my god! But but this song, this song screams America. Oh, it does. Oh, absolutely. Especially again, pre-internet, you're mm-hmm. not getting like all your American news, all your American pop culture as much. It, it kind of gets slightly siphoned over. So when this song comes over, you're like, "Fuck yeah, that is the America that I know and love." Through and through, hot dogs on Fourth of July kind of America. This is Bill Clinton's America. <laughs> yeah, it is time. actually yes, Bill Clinton's it America. Is. Um, can I tell you uh, who was ahead? Who was around? Achy Breaky Heart, actually, because I oh, actually I think it's know. important. Okay. I need to know. Number five was TLC with Baby, Baby, Baby. Mm. Four was Achy Breaky Heart. Number three, this is like the most perfect rounded out lineup of the 90s. Uh, Number three was Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh. Number two, I'll Be There, Mariah Carey. Mm. Number one, any guesses? It's insane. It actually kind of blows my mind. It's It's not Nirvana, is it? Baby Got Back. Sir Mix-a-Lot is the thing that could, 15 weeks on the chart, could not take down Achy Breaky Heart. This is the pop radio that I miss, where pop used to be a survey of what's popular across all the genres. So you would get country, you would get hip-hop, you get pop, you would get rock, it'd all be on there. And now, pop is just a genre. Like, it's just its own sound. Essentially, if, honestly, even just like the top 10, it's like Madonna. This used to be my playground. If you asked me to Celine Dion, like John Cicada, okay, well, I, there's I one curveball. So there. many. <laughs> there's so much. There's so hey, he's very 90s. Oh, I okay. mean, I, I, that song's now stuck in my head. Just seeing his name. Yes. Billy Ray Cyrus's debut album sold more than nine million copies. <sighs> It's a lot. It was the first country single to be certified platinum since 1983. Wow. And that song was Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, Islands <gasps> in the Stream. Do we even consider that country anymore? Then even had more success as the hook from Praz, ODB, and Maya's Ghetto Superstar. That's right. That's right. Wow. One of the greatest country hip-hop crossovers that I can think That's of. That's incredible. The legacy of Achy Breaky Heart is rather contentious, as you would imagine. It comes in at number two on VH1's list of the 50 most awesomely bad songs. It also appeared on Blender Magazine's 50 Worst Songs of All Time. However, it's also on VH1's 100 Greatest Songs of the 90s. And on the About.com, which used to be a site people went to, uh, <laughs> list of the 500 best country music songs of all time. However, 500 is like kind of a lot of songs. That's a lot. Yeah. Those first two lists, though, are pretty much like our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although there's some pretty great songs that have been covered and will be covered. They're just odd. As you would imagine, there are also some covers of this song that have become part of the lexicon of pop culture none come to mind off the top of my head one of them is rather fabled actually i shouldn't say that it's in pop culture it's really within a certain circle of people that they know about this song it's certain people that are obsessed with bruce springsteen there is a 2015 syndicated article called the night bruce springsteen played achy breaky heart wow 
at a special show in 1993, the boss played a night in New Jersey. (gasps) He was coming home because he'd been living in L.A. for a while. It was a really special night. Things got a little weird, and he started playing weird cover songs and rarities. I was gonna say he that he does do that though, and like he'll do like melodies of sorts with it in like a mix of many different songs. Yeah, yeah. All right, I can see that. Then. But this has become kind of a, a a fabled story because he's playing the show. There's all these like diehard fans there. He's playing like deep cuts, covers singer songwriter stuff. He starts playing the song, and he says. I was laying in bed the other night, and I said, what would really bend everybody's mind? Achy, breaky heart. (laughs) This is what makes Bruce a true artist. If you don't believe me, fight me on that. That is, he is, that's incredible. That's incredible. Oh, I I would totally agree. So he plays a verse and a chorus, and it's him playing acoustic solo. (gasps) And then the band kicks in on the verse and chorus. Uh. The crowd goes wild. He starts throwing in some Billy Ray Cyrus moves. Oh my gosh. Yes. Strips off his flannel shirt and tosses it to a woman in the crowd. Wait, there's no documentation. There's no video. There is a bootleg recording and it's it's super <sighs> muffled. It's like hard. It, you can tell he's playing the song, but it's not like something you would listen to. But it's out there. It's on YouTube. As the crowd claps and yells out the words, the boss says into the mic, this is why Icky Breaky Heart is a great song. Hey, if the boss approves, I approve. I was already yeah. team team Billy Ray here, so literally straight from the boss. Fuck you, Travis Tritt. <laughs> You're also very much team boss, so I I was mm-hmm. really excited. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll side with the boss over Travis Tritt anytime, yeah. personally. Yeah, hundred and ten percent, both musically and ideologically. <laughs> the Alvin and the Chipmunks actually covered this song on one of their many many albums, and it was it's one of the most popular Alvin and the Chipmunks songs pause on that for a second because that feels was it intentional that he followed him down the aisle did he know that they were going to cover it i was going to say i really didn't see that part of the story coming full circle you didn't see alvin (laughs) coming back crossover is no (laughs) so interesting i kind of wish that billy ray cyrus played dave in the movies (gasps) that would have been awesome hey they're still making alvin and that would have been great um I don't know, actually. I don't know when the Alvin version came out. I'm sorry, the Chipmunks. I don't want to offend Simon or Theodore. That's a good point. I don't know when. I don't know when that came out. Maybe it was part of. Maybe it was part of the marketing plan for the Alvin and the Chipmunks album. For Alvin to be at the Billboard Awards and follow him up on the stage in his red cowboy hat. I am. I'm speechless, but also. <laughs> um. <gasps> It was 92. It was 92. Really? That was So it had already come out. That was Oh my god. The song is included in the album Chipmunks in Low Places. So this was a whole ploy. <laughs> Wait, is there a whole country album? Yep. And I need to hear Chipmunks in Low Places. How did I not know this? Yep. <laughs> I'm about to send you a YouTube link that you need to view and listen to. This is not a uh, cover of the song, really. Oh, it's a cover. Yeah, it's it's a cover of the song. But you'll see you'll see what I mean. So in 2014, rapper Buck 22 put out "Achy Breaky 2." What's happening? I had no idea that Billy Ray was. In more than one hip hop song, 
Let me tell you. They're on the set of Alien. I'm so into this. This is incredible. Oh, oh, there's a fiddle. There's a fiddle in this one. But it's one of those weird fiddles. It's like electronic that doesn't actually have a body to it. So actually, it might be more country than Achy Breaky Heart in the original version. It's got a fiddle. That was the thing for a while. Was Did Yellow Card have one of those? Oh my gosh, this is absurd. I can't take my eyes off this one. <laughs> expensive music video, too. Larry King is in the music video. Really he introduces expensive. the song. Where did Buck 22 go? <laughs> this is not quite a cover. This is a parody of Achy Breaky Heart. Mr. Weird Al. I do remember this. Parodied this song, which I feel like is the ultimate seal of approval. And what's great about this parody is that it's about somebody who hates the song Achy Breaky Heart. Yeah. So it's set to Achy Breaky Heart, and it's about somebody who hates the song. This is why I love Al. Which is so brilliant. And you can play the Bee Gees any day. It's so good. Oh my god. This is so good. Forgot about this. And he's like kind of nasally like Billy Ray, so it totally works. <gasps> I just can't take him more. More Billy Ray. It might be tied with the Weird Al song, it Smells Like Nirvana, which is just about how people can't understand what Kurt Cobain's saying and it smells like Teen Spirit. Kurt Cobain loved that song, which makes me love it even more. He did, more. yeah. He did. Also, mm-hmm. I'm really sorry, guys. You're never going to want to guest after this. I'm just, I'm killing killing the zone. But do you remember Pennsylvania Boys, Amish Paradise coming out? Oh, of course. I mean, that was, oh. that's the hit, right, of, of Weird Al's? Yeah. Our local station, FM 97 WLAN. Oh, I know FM 97 WLAN. Absolutely. Yeah. It had a shock jock, evening shock jock named Pat Kane. And... This is very formative for me, but when Amish Paradise came out, he was so proud of it that he put it, I mean, it was a total stunt, but he put it on repeat for like three hours and locked himself in the station and they, and it went against FAA regulations or whatever it was like, what's FCC. the FCC? FCC regulations. Thank you. Sorry. FAA too. They, they, <laughs> Airlines didn't like it either. That shit don't fly. Fcc regulations, and uh, they came and arrested him in the studio. What? Wait, why? You can't play Amish Paradise over and over again. You can't play a song more than a certain number of times over the and airwaves. He might not have played commercials. I know that. that. I think that's another. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I remember it happening, and my parents were like. That is What's amazing. Going on, it's so. those little central Pennsylvania nuggets that make us who we are. It makes me actually super proud of being from there. There are some other parodies. Uh, it was also parodied on Pinky and the Brain uh, on Animaniacs. Uh, and Bill Nye also parodied the song on his show. So, I mean, this was like full on phenomenon. Back to the UK. The song was popular there, but it's still popular there because... English soccer fans have adopted the chorus and it is chanted at West Ham United games <laughs> still to this day. Wow. And then because of that, 
supporters of the English national team also sing the song at games, but they replace the lyrics with don't take me home instead of don't break my heart. Oh my God. So it's possible that more English people are singing this song publicly than Americans. Yeah, I feel like that's fairly certain to this yeah. day. Like in this era right now, there are more because we're talking about thousands of people at soccer oh games God, I love singing it all together <laughs> and people at pubs singing along with the soccer games they're watching. Billy Ray Cyrus won't stop re-recording this song. He has made so many versions of this song. It's like getting out of control. Uh, there's a Spanish version. There's a blues version that was like kind of a darker tone whenever he reintroduced himself as just Cyrus and not Billy Ray Cyrus just a few years ago. Um, countless remixes. Clearly you heard him uh, on the Buck 22 uh, <laughs> hip hop sampling of the song he will not let this song die and i kind of respect him for it especially because as we know he's he's got some other things going on these days yeah but until that this was his only real song but yeah man cash in oh yeah of course though most of most of his versions of this song have come in the last 15 years (laughs) my favorite weird pop culture crossover dealing with this song is one that i already knew about And it is the much derided and scathed upon Marvel comic starring Achy Breaky Heart era Billy Ray Cyrus. It came out in 1994. Wow. Full on tank top, acid wash jeans, mullet donning Billy Ray fighting crime. Wow. Released by Marvel Comics. The cover of this uh, graphic novel comic. It ha- he's like drawn as you would see on like one of those like trashy romance novels. So when is Disney going to launch the Disney Plus series of this? It's going to be a Hannah Montana and Avengers crossover. <laughs> what I didn't know until I was researching this is that this was for a short-lived Marvel Comics imprint called Marvel Music, where they printed comic books where the heroes were musicians and it wasn't supposed to be ironic whatsoever there's a bob marley issue there's a rolling stones issue there's an alice cooper issue there's a krs1 issue that i very much want to read oh my god yeah and there is a marty stewart marvel comic issue (gasps) oh my god i need to find these that's i believe it's called marty stewart's party in space i am here for that is the name right. of it right it makes sense right. bunch of legends and then the achy breaky heart the guy. marty stewart version looks like rick and morty uh, can we please get a rick and marty and it's rick and marty stewart <laughs> i need that cartoon oh my goodness where is billy ray cyrus now i mean what a question yeah he had a sprinkling of some more country hits over the next few years although he did not have any country hits that crossed over uh, into the mainstream or into pop. But as we all know, Billy Ray has had quite a successful career as an actor, a TV producer, and a general public personality. And he has some famous kids that you may have heard of. Um, he's definitely the most famous person that we've covered on the podcast thus far. Um, but I kind of feel like he's not that popular because of his music anymore. Like he's become this like icon. Uh, absolutely figurehead this other thing he's just like a guy that's around all the time Uh, i kind of feel like 
Billy Ray Cyrus is the Mark Wahlberg of country music where like he had one really silly song that was so huge. And now he's known for all this other shit. So, so like achy breaky heart was like Marky Mark and the funky bunch. Good vibrations. Mike, I'm not overstating this. You just blew my mind because that lines up so perfectly. It's absurd. It's really good. Wow. I need to ruminate on this for a little bit. I feel like this really is an unlikely hit song. It might not be an unlikely country song, which even then, as we've talked about, it was contentious. The lyrics, a lot of people couldn't get behind. The music, people couldn't get behind. It might have even been unlikely on country. But it is an unlikely pop hit. I'm reading the lyrics right now because I don't know that I ever actually really appreciated the diverse lyrics. They're really, really awful. I mean, you can tell your ma I moved to Arkansas, or you can tell your dog to bite my leg, or tell your brother Cliff, whose fist can tell my lips, he never really liked me anyway. It's almost like country music Mad Libs. The whole song is like country music Mad Libs. It's like somebody making fun of a country song. But maybe that's why it had crossover potential. I think maybe it did, because as Theo here was saying, when people heard it overseas, they were like, oh yeah, it's America. Yeah, it sounds like America. I like this. Producer, yeah. It it kind of sounds like a parody. You know what? I'm going to go so far as to say I think that this is a pivot point for country music. I think that this, just as Old Town Road will be in 10 or 15 or 20 years, I think that this, this was actually a turning point of crossover into pop music of oversimplification, of kitsch, of bringing in, I mean, just like bucking wearing the traditional country outfit and wearing probably more like what people were wearing outside of Ashland, Kentucky. I think, you know what? You have given me a newfound respect for Billy Ray Cyrus and this song because the more I think about it, the more I think this is actually... A really pivotal song in country music history. Good pivotal? I don't know. I'm not the one to make that judgment. But it was a change. While that's happening, you also have probably the same period that I was dancing in a little Daisy Dukes to the song. You probably have the two members of Florida Georgia mm-hmm. Line dancing to the song mm-hmm. and them thinking, I want to grow up and be a country star. So maybe you could pinpoint this song as when country music really started going downhill. Um, I agree, because at this exact same time, Garth Brooks was releasing Billy Joel covers that are incredible songs. Shameless is amazing. It's an amazing song, and it was a number one hit. I think a lot of people credit Garth Brooks for, quote unquote, ruining country music with like the big arena pop anthems. It If we're talking about how they're saying ruining country music, popular country music. It may have been this song. <laughs> Motherfuckers made a lot of money. And thanks to Mr. Shed, made it all himself. Not sharing that publishing with anyone. I gotta say that I kind of feel like every step of the way, Billy Ray was doing some kind of cool shit. Like, the things he was doing, the things he was saying, the fact that he heard the song and he was like, I'll kick a song off my record and I'll put this on there. It was brilliant. I think it's super weird that he keeps recording it, but I also love that he keeps this piece of his past that he doesn't have to because he's such a successful producer and actor and like 
doing his own thing and his kids are successful, but he's like, no, you know what? This song made me and I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep putting this song out there. I'm going to give it its due. And meanwhile, Don Juan just keeps raking in the dough. Yeah. I, I have to say, just from a royalty perspective, I have so much respect for him re-recording the song over and over and over and over again. Like, it's just free money on the DSPs. Amy, before we sign off, why don't you tell Excellent. us uh, anything you got going on that you want to tell the people about? All right, people. Well, always visit thebluegrasssituation.com. Uh, we're the hub for roots bluegrass americana folk anything adjacent when we do have live events back we'll be there and uh we also have a pretty cool podcast network ourselves so we have um harmonics podcast uh which i'm really proud of i'm producer on and uh exploring the intersection of healing and creativity and music so we said margot price courtney marie andrews uh Carol Burnett was a guest Whoa, this season. Damn. It's very varied. That's cool. But I'm not usually the one on mic or on camera, so I'm not very good at, at selling what I'm working on. I'm just like, ah. Oh. Well, you're great when you're talking about achy breaky heart. So keep Honestly, that in mind. Yeah. It I, I I this is like the most perfect podcast for me to appear on. Like I I'm really I'm genuinely thrilled. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for being here. Oh yeah. Let me know uh, when I should get the Pure Moods podcast started. Not giving that up. And Coles. Um, <laughs> and Coles. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Good luck getting achy breaky heart out of your head. Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. And if you listen on Apple, write a review, but only if it's nice. Follow us on Twitter at YWAHpod and let us know what you think. Or tell us what we missed by sending us an email at YWAHpod at gmail.com. We welcome suggestions for future episodes, so bring them on. And lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time. <laughs>